Running any business for 20 years is an accomplishment, but especially an independent one. This is Courtney Drake McDonough, publisher of InGoodTasteDenver.com and host of the In Good Taste Denver podcast. My guest today is Pete Marzik, co-founder and CEO of Marzik Fine Foods, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Pete, congratulations on that accomplishment, and I'm so glad you could join us today. Well, thanks, Courtney. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start with before Marzik. What were you doing before you opened the, the stores and store, the first store, and did it have anything to do with the food market business? Uh, well, the, the, the answer to the second part of the question is absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, okay. so we, we can start there. Um, but, uh, I, I was a, uh, I had a, had a, had a really pretty varied, uh, and I, I wouldn't say terribly checkered, but varied past, um, my immediate, uh, job before the market open was, uh, was I, I had done about a year of mortgage brokering that I had, um, uh, taken from my experience of about 10 years at Merrill Lynch. And so really my big professional um, introduction to the world was, uh, was as a retail stockbroker at Merrill Lynch. And um, when, I, when I decided I wanted to move on from that, I, I liked doing that. And it was a really great job in a, in a very good industry with, a, with an incredibly good company um, that I still... You know, we still do business with Merrill Lynch, and, and it's a it was a wonderful launch pad for pr- practically any career. Um, <clears throat> but I I wasn't in love with it. You know, it was one of those things where um, I I liked doing what I did, and I really enjoyed particularly my customers and my colleagues um, at Merrill Lynch. However, I wasn't in love with the product. I, I just wasn't passionate about you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and options, um, the way that I had this kind of very fiery passion for food and wine that I'd always had. Um, and, uh, and so I was, uh, food and wine were my, were my, uh, my avocation, um, and sales was my vocation. And those were the two things that I, that I tried to bring together for my own life in a, in a business package that I, that I hoped and thought could make sense, um, financially. So, um, prior to Merrill, I mainly done construction related jobs. Um, I'd owned a little, uh, co-owned a little company with a, with a good friend. We did painting, paper hanging and plastering. Um, and before that I did a lot of grunt work. (laughs) So, so I've kind of run the gamut. Yeah. Well, it sounds like all of those things sort of ended up lending themselves to this, this experience, especially in those early days, right? You know, I think the sales training that I got was really formative. Um, also, just just the notion that, that you're just going to have to work pretty hard. Um, you know, having been in uh, construction trades and as a broker at Merrill, I mean, those are, you're up early and staying late if you want to make it past your first couple years. Um, so, you know, and, and being a grocer, you know, candidly is it's hard work. And um, our, our team 
proves that every day. Uh, you know, it's it's not it, it's it it the store doesn't look the way it does by accident or mm-hmm. without a lot of effort. So yeah, yeah, it, it did teach me a lot. And you know, the finance part at Merrill <clears throat> taught me taught me a lot about how to create how to create value in a company and how to how to uh, uh, create value for a community. Um, and so, you know, it all, it all dovetailed in, um, the, the food part really came from, I, I, you know, I grew up in Western Massachusetts in this, in this very s- small town in, a, in an incredibly fertile and productive area called the Pioneer Valley. It's a, it's a small section of the Connecticut river Valley that, uh, is just incredibly fertile. Like we have some of the best asparagus and sweet corn and, uh, dairy anywhere, you know, in, uh, on the planet. And that was just what I grew up with. My, my family had this incredible garden. We raised chickens and rabbits and my brother and I tended, you know, some animals on a really small you know, residential scale. But, uh, but, you know, those are flavors and senses that get awakened from that food that you never forget. And, and I, that was really the food driver. And I'd worked in some restaurants, mostly, you know, as a dishwasher, but, uh, you know, as a kid. Um, so I had some back of house experience, some food experience. Um, and then I just really took it into this place where I tried to do everything I could to educate myself on, you know, re- the, the way deeper dive on food, where it comes from, what makes it good, what makes it great, what, what maybe makes it not so good or great. Um, and I've been on a, if if there's anything steeper than vertical in terms of a learning curve, I've (laughs) been on that for the last 22 years. Wow. (laughs) You know, I, I always say to my kids, there's, there are no wasted experiences. You know, I think you you take something from everything you do and, and you're a perfect example of that. Um, 20 years ago, and, and I've been here all my life, far more than 20 years, um, Tell me what what the food shopping scene was like in twenty years ago before you opened the store. Yeah, that's a great, that's a good question. You know, I I get asked that a lot, and it, it usually usually is dovetailed into the question and what made you think this would work. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, um, <clears throat> Denver Denver was very different from where I grew up. Um, in the sense that I grew up in a in a town where there were there were markets that that catered to neighborhoods or certain ethnic groups. You know, there was a Polish market, there was a little French market, there was you know the the the, the neighborhood markets. And and when I moved out here, when I first got here, there were there were a few places. You know, I I think of I think of some of the pioneers like like SIDS and um, FBC mm-hmm. was still here. And they, they had just gone out maybe a couple of years after I'd moved here. You know, the, the cheese company, <laughs> those guys have been doing it forever. Um, but beyond that, there were really very few independents. Everything was chain. And what I learned very quickly as I started to dive into it, food, food and supply chain and provenance of food, I realized that really it was a very homogenous supply chain that, that people were, you know, the, the banner might be different on the front door and 
the, uh, the the trade dress and the and the logo color might be a little different, but really the supply chain was so narrow um, that became very apparent to me, and that was kind of the impetus for me to start to think about this in a more meaningful way. Um, how can we get some of the best items from, say, New England or the Southeast or California or the Pacific Northwest or even low, you know, regionally, you know, the Intermountain West? And that the gamut, right? Whether it's a produced and, and preserved food or whether it's absolutely fresh, um, you know, how can we do this? And so that was really the whole impetus. You know, I, I used to shop when I was doing dinner parties. I mean, that's kind of how I got ready for this business is cooked a lot <laughs> and, and was mentored by some incredible cooks and chefs, um, you know, through the years who, you know, really took me under their wing um, and, and really taught me the, the fundamental, basically, you know, a culinary school education without going to culinary school. Um, but that was, you know, I would shop for a dinner and, you know, you get bread here and you go get the meat there. If you want seafood, you go over here and maybe you might need a, a, a nice canned tomato. So you go to this other place. And I, I said, gosh, just got it. We can do this. So we can, we can, we can make something out of this. And, um, you know, Whole Foods had just opened in Cherry Creek um, and I was working on our business plan. Um, it took a couple of years. I mean, it was a, it was a bit of a slog partly because I didn't know anything. Um, so, so that was, that was thing one, challenge one, learn stuff. Um, and when, when Whole Foods came in, I was like, oh no, I'm cooked. And then I realized that they're, they're kind of the, they were kind of the same, just, you know, different dressing and, you know, they're wonderful. They're, they, they're different today than they were then, but uh, you know, that was another great pioneer in this industry and, and really helped to change how people look at food and many, you know, alfalfas um, and, and that, you know, that organically grew out of Boulder and, and uh, a great group of people up there who, who really made something very cool. But, you know, again, think back then that that was hippie food. Those are hippie markets, right? Mm -hmm. They were like uh, crunchy, you know, hippie. Um, and I didn't necessarily want crunchy hippie. Um, so, you know, we have fine in our name, fine foods. Um, a lot of our food is crunchy and hippie, mm -hmm. uh, but we really, we index for that, the, the, the quality. That's always our index point is quality. Um, only do what we can plausibly be the best at. That doesn't mean we're the best at everything we do, but we, we, we damn sure try. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, I think that's the main difference that, that we were trying to, that we were trying to capture was that, that really, you know, kind of that grown up city shopping experience in a neighborhood market, not everything, just everything you need in one spot, fully curated, really thoughtfully sourced and um you know that that was I just didn't feel that existed mm -hmm. yeah and, and I know you had to obtain your own funding so what was the the picture the you know your elevator speech that you gave to prospective investors about what Marzik Fine Foods would be and why it was needed in the marketplace at that time Oh my God. Well, you can't see me right now, but I'm a, I'm an inveterate arm waver. Um, <laughs> and so there was a lot of arm waving and, and on the other side, there was a lot of, uh, head shaking. 
Um, <laughs> you know, it, it was a it was a really risky thing um, for for me, for my wife, who's who's my co-founding business partner and greatest supporter in the world, <laughs> um, along with my my brother who was encouraging me and and a bunch of friends who were encouraging me. But it was really hard to raise the money. We we started we started in earnest raising money in uh, January of um, of two thousand one. And we were under construction um, in April and May of 2001, and I hadn't quite finished raising the money, and um, uh, and then 9/11 hit, and so we had to stop construction um, because I had a couple of people pull out of the deal, and um, and it was just scary. Super, it, it made an already scary thing way scarier, um, but you know we have an incredible group of just amazing, uh, helpful, very, very um, supportive investors who helped us get this thing launched. You know, I thought it would cost, you know, I, you know, at this point I'll make the numbers up a little bit because they're, they're, they're 21 years old in my head, but, you know, I thought it would cost a million and a half. And I thought, you know, I thought $500,000 was a lot of money. <laughs> Anyway, it was more, and five hundred thousand dollars was not a lot of money. <laughs> once you start making, once you start paying payroll, but I, but I told the story. I told my story. I told the story of of what I thought we could make out of this, and it was all wrong, by the way. Everything. I mean, I don't think I made one assumption that was correct. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I thought I'd have a string of thirty of these within three years, and you know, it would be wildly successful, and that you know, King Supers or Whole Foods couldn't live with us or without us. Um, but, you know, it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> we had yeah. to, we had to, you know, we had to make adjustments to our financial plan, literally, you know, five days in, 10 mm-hmm. days in when, you know, I realized that the people just were not streaming in the way that I thought they would. Um, and, oh my gosh, those first, those first, months and that first year was just you know you know how memories become it's like it's like you remember people who've been gone a long time and you never remember any of the fights you had you just remember the good things Mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of how this is but as I think about it you know I think about how hard we worked I think about how hard our crews worked I think about how how hard it was for them to be led by me not knowing as much as I, as I should or could have. And yet I knew what I wanted as a product and I knew we weren't getting it and I knew we could still do it. So we just kept doubling down, you know, we just kept doubling down and, and um, you know, my, my brother and I talk about it, you know, people ask <clears throat> us a lot of times, you know, well, what's it like, you know, how, how do you guys, how do you guys keep keep it together. How do you guys do it? And we, we just, we have basically one agreement between us, which is keep coming to work. And that was really what it, what it took for us uh, to, to get it to a place of, you know, first we had to stop the bleeding, but we, you know, we lost, I think our first year, you know, I'm, I, we, we lost, I, I 
I think the numbers, you know, it's over a half a million bucks. I mean, it was, it, and, and we had, you know, we had reserves and I, as I said, I thought we had plenty, but man, it was just, you know, you start making payroll and you're not making the sales and it's hard. So we, we, we changed a lot in those first few years to be able to be able to be here today. Well, and I, I want to come back to that, but um, because I want, I want to ask you what, you know, what the vision was versus how you changed it. But I, I want to go back to the fact that you, you're working with your wife and your brother. So it is, Marzik is at its core a family business. Um, how, you know, that, that can go wonderfully for people and that can really go awry for people. How do you make it work? Well, <clears throat> I have an incredibly tolerant wife and brother. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, pr- probably, I, I don't know that I make it work. I think they make it work better than I do. Um, but, you know, we, we are, we're committed. We're, we're a very, we're a close family. We all get along well. We respect each other. Um, we have, we have different skill sets. You know, Barb's skill set is much different than mine, which is much different than Paul's. And so we kind of have our lanes and mm-hmm. um, we, again, it's, you know, it's based on a, on a ton of mutual respect. And, you know, we, 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 we're committed to each other and we're committed to the business and, you know, the old expression in for a penny, in for a pound, and we're, we're all in for, for pounds. And um, so, you know, it, it, it it's sort of, uh there there's really never been you know we've never had conversations where anybody said you know i think i'm done with this i'm sick of you (laughs) so you know uh, i suppose there's a day when when that happens you know when it's when it's just time to not not uh you know grind it out anymore um and, and figure some next step out but we're we're not there yet you know we're still in a building phase in the business and we've been able to We've been able to manage the company to a place where we, we can have growth in our future and our, on our horizon. Um, and I think that keeps us all engaged and it keeps us interested. Um, and we, we continue to find ways to utilize each other's skills and passion and backfill um, through our team where we don't have uh, those, the, the, the skills that, that, you know, in our, in our little family team. And we have an incredible, that's the other piece i mean our team is amazing i mean i, I we have such a, a dedicated team of professionals that that help us you know they they really you know they really run the business and um we're we're we're, we're working more on vision and growth and uh, overall leadership but these guys you know and, and men women and a bunch of kids just you know every day mm-hmm. i i just cannot say enough about uh, the people that we've employed through the years. I mean, it's just been an, a, an amazing group. Um, some of whom have gone on to become doctors and lawyers and, and, you know, great, it's, you know, it's been very, that's been incredibly rewarding, but it really, it, t- it takes an entire team, Courtney, you know, you can't, there's none of this gets done by one or two or three people. It, it's, you know, right now we've got a team of, I think we've got probably 84, 85 on payroll and, mm-hmm. They just, you know, we didn't close one day during the pandemic, you know, not one day. Mm-hmm. And if they then you, you show me anything more frontline than that. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and it's, you know, again, just not the, this isn't a complaint, but grocery workers weren't getting, uh, weren't getting lunch delivered every day to the supermarkets, Right. <laughs> you know, right. but, uh, and people weren't raising money for grocery workers, um, you know, it, it, but, but I, I'll put, I'll put my team of grocery frontliners up against any out there. They, yeah. my, 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 my crew kicked, kicked ass. Yeah. <laughs> Good. They did. So, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Um, okay. So let's go back to the starting, starting the business. So you'd had this vision that you sold to the investors and, and pretty rapidly found out it wasn't working. So can you give me an example of what wasn't working and what you then changed change two? For sure, for sure. So <clears throat> we opened our, our vision, you know, our mission, our mission, you know, kind of the, the words we use in our mission are profitability and excellence. Those are our two primary drivers, you know, without, without margin, there's no mission, you got to be profitable, that's your right to exist as a company. So it's our first word. And I'm, you know, I, I call this our kind of our sustainability statement, right? Profitability and excellence through integrity, authenticity, consistency, reliability, and passion. And that, so that's kind of our, that's the, that's the architectural framework under which the vision was written and, and conceived. So the vision really hasn't changed um, in terms of what we envision we create as a product for our customers and for our community. What has changed is how we do it. So originally we were, we were very strictly focused on being a fresh market. To, to put that into perspective, you could buy bread and you could buy sliced meat at our store, but we wouldn't make you a sandwich. Mm. We just didn't have the, the, you know, we didn't build it that way. We built it to be a fresh market. So that classic sort of higher traffic, you know, super fresh, comes in in the morning, it's sold by the afternoon, you know, that kind of a, that level of turnover. And we just didn't have the, we just didn't have the density that I, that I thought we'd have to make that exactly work. So one of the things, you know, I, I mean, I, I could tell there's so many stories about this and they usually end with, you're an idiot. I'm going somewhere else to shop. A customer wow. saying that to me, you know, and, and I mean, I'm not even kidding that that, you know, people, you're an idiot. I'm going, I'm going back to King Supers. Wow. <laughs> okay. So we, we got the message pretty fast, you know, um, you know, I, I can remember tomatoes weren't perfect one day. And, and so I rejected the tomatoes at the back door and, you know, later that day, mm -hmm customer who I knew came in and geez, you know, Hey, um, do you have any tomatoes? I'm like, Oh no, they came in this morning and they, you know, they just didn't look great. And, and you're an idiot. I'm going to go to King Supers buy a tomato. tomato. Wow. So, you know, we had to, we, we just had to let go of certain things. Like I, I we're still, you know, we, the, the business still begins at the back door, you know, nothing really comes in the back door and gets better as it moves through the store and out the front door. So we have to make sure it's great when it comes in the back door um, or, you know, or, or we've kind of lost our, our competitive edge right there. Um, so that's, that's always held, but we do make sandwiches now. We didn't make any prepared foods. So, um, you know, we were, we didn't have the facility or you know, I, I didn't have a kitchen. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a robo I didn't have a, 
you know, a, a burr mixer. I didn't have a steam kettle or anything, nothing. I couldn't make a soup. I couldn't do any of that. So I started to get on my horse and, and, and um, we, we built a deli in the store. We started to do soups, um, salsas, things that we could repurpose perfectly wholesome, delicious food, you know, that might have a blemish on it and turn it into pico de gallo or, um, or guacamole or, you know, any of these things that, that now are just, you know, our absolute drivers in our business. I mean, people love those items from us, but, you know, at the, at the time I didn't, I didn't want to, I was very careful. I didn't want to cross the line into restaurant and, and we never did that really. Um, I still feel we, you know, we, we don't, we're not restauranty. We're very market focused. We want to be a market, not a restaurant. However, we have, we've blurred that line. So the, the deli is a great example. Um, you know, uh, 10 years into the business, uh, we were having just frustrations in our, in our fresh bread supply chain. And, and something about bread that's kind of unique is that it's, you know, especially like the, a baguette is a great example. The geometry of a baguette is such that, you know, it's like the perfect thing to go stale fast, right? <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't design a bread that could stale faster than a baguette, except a breadstick, which you eat kind of stale, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so, you know, that's, they, when they come in in the morning and you get, you know, 60 baguette in the morning and it's a cold rainy day, like today, and you sell 20, you know, 40, you can only make so much panzanella breadcrumbs and croutons. Mm -hmm. And when you're paying somebody else to do that, it just gets, you know, you, you, you're losing money on bread. So, so we built the bakery, um, you know, that was, that was in, well, I guess it was 12 years ago. So that was in 2010 or 11 that we built the bakery and we started that, that program uh, and then creamery, you know, we made our own ice cream um, and now our whole prepared food line is done um, we, we built a commissary, uh, during, we started construction right at the beginning of the pandemic and, uh, completed it, um, in, let's see, it was November of 20 ish. We moved in there and that's where all our baking and prepared foods are made now. Um, instead of in the, in, you know, the back of the markets, which was, those were all just kind of cobbled together. And I used to call them MacGyver kitchens, you know, <laughs> <laughs> people would apply for for jobs i'm like okay what kind of equipment are you used to using oh you know I'm, i can use a combi i know how to use that all you know all the fancy stuff i'm like great how are you with a hot plate <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know it's been you know it's just been this like anything it's an evolution it's an adaptation but we've um you know we've really settled on at least architecturally settled on this is what we do you know it's the deli it's the prepared foods, it's the baking, it's the market aspect, the meat, the seafood, the grocery, the frozen, you know, that, that is, you know, our footprint, we're pretty solid with that now, and uh, that the, the amount of square footage, the number of SKUs, et cetera, that's, that's our concept. So what you see when you walk into a Marzix today is really what you'll see when you walk into, you know, Marzix in Westminster a year from now. Mm-hmm. So you, you touched on the bread. So you make the sandwiches, make things like salsa, guacamole. 
Um, you make your own bread, you make your own ice cream. Um, I, I mean, those, those are all like sub ventures on their own, you know, which a little business on their own. Um, and like with the example of the ice cream, you carry other brands of ice cream. So two-part question, what other, besides bakery and ice cream, what are some of the other products that you, you guys make and, and why, like, especially with ice cream, if you, I know your freezer counter, you've got a lot of, of competitors competing, competing ice creams, including local ones. So why did you feel you needed to be part of that? Well, another really good question. So uh, you, everything they say about the grocery business is true, right? So I didn't believe it. 21 years ago, people were telling me, you know, it's the business of pennies and nickels. You know, it's a super slim margin. I'm like, yeah, we got that figured out. We're going to, we can, we can do this. It, it, I was wrong. It's super slim. So you have, so, so part of why we do our own manufacturing is to cap, capture some of that margin, right? Or to be able to mitigate, to mitigate um, unnecessary expense, particularly in waste, right? So bread is the perfect example of that. If I make a loaf of bread, I have a certain amount of ingredient cost and labor cost into that. If I have to pay somebody else their margin and their profit and buy it from them, I'm either not buying enough or I'm buying too much every single day. We couldn't get it right. We just simply couldn't get that fresh bread thing right. And, you know, you're relying on somebody else for a delivery at a certain time and, you know, it might be late, can't make sandwiches that day, whatever. And so we just got to the point where we said, look, we've got to figure this out. And it was based really, these are very financially driven decisions. And, and I, and I said earlier in our, in our conversation, I said, you know, only do what we can plausibly be the best at. So we, we learned how to make bread from, you know, bread Yoda, like the, the guy um, back in Vermont, uh, a guy named Jeffrey Hamelman was a fantastic, the, one of the best books you'll ever read on food is his book, Bread, by the way. Um, but, you know, we, we learned that it wasn't beyond our scope of ability or, you know, outside the reach of what we could afford to put into the store. And, you know, you pencil it out pretty fast. You know, you sell X amount of bread, somebody else's bread per day, and you figure you can probably sell about that amount of your own bread each day. How many labor people could that support? How, what are the ingredients cost? And you, you know, you just start to do an envelope calculation. You're like, you know what? We can add, maybe, maybe we can add a half a percent to our, uh, to our gross margin overall by doing this. And, and a half a percent in our business is like, you know, that's like Christmas. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm serious. I mean, because you're, you know, at the end of the, at the, at the end of a financial period, you are measuring profit. You know, it's, it's a, it's either a, it's, it's either a zero or a negative one or a one, mm -hmm. or maybe a, maybe a one and a half, or maybe a two or two and a half or a three. And maybe, you know, on those exceptional periods, you might hit a three and a half. So a half a percent makes, makes just absolutely all the difference. So same thing with ice cream. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, it's, it's a more cost dense uh, item than bread for sure, but it also has great shelf life. And I candidly, I don't, I don't, I don't love most commercial ice creams. They're, they're fluffy and sweet. 
And I wanted to make something that was creamy and more savory, um, just a different experience that I just wasn't getting out there. And part of it is, you know, sugar's cheap and heavy and air's free. So, mm-hmm. you know, we make ours with less air and less sugar, <laughs> but, you know, and, and local dairy, you know, that's, we have a wonderful dairy industry. We have a great dairy partner that, um, that has been selling us for, for 20 years. And, uh, so I just got with them and said, Hey, you know, could you supply this? And they said, yeah, it sounds great. We'd love to do that. So, you know, we, we learned how to make ice cream and we created our own formulations. We make our own base, which is, you know, ice cream is really a two component thing, right? You have to make or obtain an ice cream base, which isn't just milk and cream mixed. You know, it's, it, you have to cook it and make it and pasteurize it, do that whole thing. And it's a whole process there. Then you have to set that base and, and get it chilled to a point and and uh you know it, it, it rests for a certain amount of time so that it stabilizes and then you then you make the ice cream you know most people who make ice cream at our scale would would buy the base but i didn't want that i didn't i didn't i didn't want the corn syrups i didn't want you know some of the other sweeteners um i wanted to use i wanted to use all natural stabilizers you know that that I wanted to pick the ingredients, you know, no, Alice Waters has this great quotation and I'll, I'll mess it up, but I'll paraphrase it. No, no dish is, can be any better than the quality of the, of the lowest quality ingredient, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, and that's whether it's salt or, you know, baking soda, you know, every ingredient really matters. You know, we say in baking and, and in our prepared food, you know, we're like, okay, guys, what's, what's the most important step here? And it's a, it's a canned thing where, you know, it's, it's like, what's the most important step? Every step. What's the most important ingredient? Every ingredient. There's, there's no place to hide when you, when you set the bar at a certain level. There's just no place to hide. You can't, you can't use filler or you can't just go out and cheap out on the ingredient. You have to be very conscious about every single piece and that was you know that was really instilled in me by um by the guy who taught me more about cooking than anyone else in in my life and uh you know he he's incredibly passionate about this stuff and and he just drilled it into my head and um and there was just never any compromise and so you know i think that's really where the genesis of all this came from you know obviously there's a financial need but then i'm like okay how can we how can we plausibly be the best right i can't make better ice cream necessarily than Hagen does. It's freaking delicious, mm-hmm. right? But I can make different ice cream and mm-hmm. I can be the best at the kind I make, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to try to make Hagen does better than Hagen does. Um, that makes sense? Yeah, definitely. It's very impressive. I love, I love your philosophy. So you, you talked about the commissary. Is that the same thing as the Marzik Culinary Center? Yeah, it's the MCC. Okay. <clears throat> so, so tell us what that is. So it was pointed out to me that uh, MCC is MC squared, which is energy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> kind of cute. The yeah. other day, I, I, I have a friend whose initials are MCC, and he said, you know what that is, right? I said, oh. <laughs> anyway, our, our commissary, you know, so we, we had built our production into our markets, which served us when we had, you know, the one and then the two. Um, but we, we sell a lot of bread wholesale now and the production out of these facilities just didn't work. And we'd always, our vision was always that we 
create this center of gravity around our retail business, which was, you know, a home office, a place to make our food and a place to store some stuff because, you know, the retail spaces are, they're kind of, they're fixed in size and we don't want those retail spaces as we grow. <laughs> we don't want those to have to grow, you know, we want to be able to keep those tight, you know, use a rifle to hit a location we want to be at and keep that footprint very much like our other, our urban footprints. So um, we knew we had to create some space to, um, to produce our food and, and store. Um, you know, we just, we were making things, you know, literally every single day and you, you can't make, 60 items every day. I mean, it's just impossible in a, in a production setting to really do that, um, at, you know, at our volumes. It's, and we're not, we're not a la minute. You know, we make it, we pack it, we display it, we sell it. We don't, we don't get the order doesn't come in from the floor and we make a quick salad. You know, we have the salads out for sale. So we had to figure this out. So, so really the, the culinary center um, was as I said, it's kind of like we combined three separate operations uh, and added one. So the three separate operations we combined were our back office. So the culinary center houses are what we call our backbone. Um, it's the nerve center of our business. Um, we have a we have an incredibly dedicated, smart, clever team of back office pros who essentially you know run the run the back end of the business from the culinary center. Um, we have a, we have our culinary team, uh, of savory cooks and we have our bakery team, uh, at the culinary center. They're sort of separated a little bit. Bakery is the bakery and the savory is the savory. We have a small amount of warehousing there. That's the kind of thing we added because we didn't have any warehousing space and we do a lot of direct importing and multiple pallet buys or container buys of items that we, you know, mow through a lot of. Um, or we self-distribute those items, and we just didn't have any place to keep them. You know, we always were stuffing them in, you know, above, above the coolers and in the back room. You know, six pallets come in, and you know, you're walking sideways through the. <laughs> you can't get through. So it just allowed us to. It, it really was. It, it. We we may have put it a little before we actually. I will put in quotation marks needed it, but it was either build another market, build a culinary center. And so it just worked out that we, we found a building. It was available. We bought it. We built it. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, and it's been, uh, it's been great. I mean, it's a really nice facility. It's a, it's an FDA facility, you know, it's, it's, it's clean, it's bright. It's a much more ergonomic place for the, for the team, uh, you know, working in the, working in the back of a market <clears throat> for these, production people, you know, they, they show up, these guys show up and, and women, and, you know, I, I say guys and I mm -hmm. mean that as a gender inclusive term. Um, I could probably be educated on that in some way. Uh, <laughs> but these, these people show up, you know, a lot of them show up at, at 2.30, 3 a.m. Um, and in the market setting, it was just hard and that, you know, they're being interrupted all the time and called out to the floor. Now they can really focus on their craft and they can really focus on doing the best job and, and that consistency piece. Um, we have better equipment. It's more ergonomic, better tables, easier wear washing, you know, just everything's easier when you can spread it out a little more and everything's at the right height and the equipment's upgraded and 
higher quality and safer, better for everybody. And so that was always in our vision, you know, um, how can we, how can we, how can we create the capacity? So, so we do now have really a pretty robust capacity from a physical plant standpoint to be able to grow. So that was really the whole vision behind it. And, you know, and it's been a great place. It's up in, uh, it's very central Denver. So we're, we're, we're very close to Colorado Boulevard and I-70 is where we're located. Um, and so we, you know, we can cover the metro area really easily from that spot. Mm-hmm. Now you, I, I know, especially in, in your celebrations of the 20th anniversary, you've been very deliberate in thanking your vendors and partners. How do you choose who you want to partner with? Because obviously they, they must need to share your vision um, in what they do and, and in having their products in your store. So how do you choose those people? Well, yeah, first of all, thank you for pointing that out. And, and I thank you for noticing because truly from my heart, my gratitude toward these farmers, producers, distributors could, could not be overstated. They, you know, we went through really tough times at the beginning and, you know, the people who are our vendors today were our vendors then, unless they've come on later. But, you know, we, there were people who, you know, three weeks into the business, they're like, yeah, we're not doing business with you. They're not doing business with us today either. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, I have this incredible loyalty level gratitude to the people who we, who we trade with. Um, yeah, they share our vision. They, they, they're, you know, I, I see many of our vendors as vendor partners. I mean, you know, they're not partners in our business any, and we're not partners in their business, but, but we don't, we're not capricious buyers. We don't, we don't move, you know, I don't, I don't call, I don't call three fish vendors to find out where I can get the cheapest salmon every day. I just don't do that. We, we don't do that as a, as a company, we make a commitment to a vendor and we say, this is how much we go through. What's the best price you can give us? How often do you think that will change? What, you know, what lead time can you give us? What lead time do you need from us? You know, so part of our vision is to be a good customer and our vendors get that. Um, you know, pay on time, be fair with them. Um, you know, don't, don't yell at the drivers. <laughs> you know, I mean, like there's just this aspect of, you know, it's like you go into a restaurant, you're next to a table where somebody's complaining and it just makes you uncomfortable. You know, I hate that. It's like, stop complaining. If you don't like it, just you know, leave. You, you don't sit here and yell at the people. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have the, we have those relationships with our vendors where, there's not a lot of complaining on either side. We, we work together, we work through issues. And, you know, we all go through ups and downs, whether you're, whether, whether you're uh, a, a giant distributor or a tiny little market like us. And if, we, if we're kind and understanding and firm and clear in our needs and expectations and the vendor's clear and back, those relationships, it's, you know, it's like, I think you said earlier, it's how do you choose your vendors? It's like choosing a partner, right? Like you don't exactly choose a partner. It's kind of a joint decision. You choose to work together. And that in, in our best relationships with our vendors, that really is, that's, that's the level that we've chosen to work with each other. And, you know, I, I, I know we're a small fish, but I also know that we're, a big fish in some people's ponds 
and and that's important to us. We take that. That's a responsibility that we have. You know, we represent. There are some producers for whom we represent. You know, half of their volume. Well. That would be a really easy place for me to say, well, you know, we're after volume, so let's uh, let's talk about pricing. And you know, when I talk about pricing, I, I frequently go to my vendors and say, are we paying you enough for that product? You know, can are you sustainable? And you know, we do try to be a good customer, and and it's part of why um, we we really never ran out of food in the pandemic. You know, we had a week where chicken was a little rough. Um, our our supplier and uh, you know had had uh, they didn't have workers in their pr- production facility. They couldn't couldn't they couldn't process the chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we we didn't run out of lettuce. We didn't, of, we didn't run out of fish. We didn't run out of beef. We didn't run out of pork. You know, um, because of those relationships through over time that are just you know just good as gold and very solid. So uh, it's a huge part of what we do. I mean, it's like, that is, you know, if there's 30% is the vendor relationships that we have. And um, I, I, I certainly hope it's mutual on their side because we, we, we feel very strongly that, that that's the supply chain. You know, I, I tell my team all the time, we're basically three businesses, right? We're in shelf life management, logistics, and real estate, mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, and we do that all through food. Food is the vehicle, but we, right. you know, but the real estate that, that, you know, the milk gets or the butter or the cheese, that's all real estate. And it, it takes up some real estate right. and we have to manage the logistics as a supply chain and we have to manage shelf life because that's, that's the bugger. That's the super bugger in our businesses. Yeah. You know, stuff, stuff doesn't last forever. Right. Well, and that feeds perfectly into, um, and feed, I pardon that pun, I didn't mean that, but we'll go with it. Um, So that feeds right into my next question, which is, so this is a little bit of an elephant in the room. Marzik is not known for quote unquote big box prices, but on the other hand, people these days are a lot more savvy about high quality and local sourcing and scratch made, et cetera, kinds of things. So that said, when what do you say to people who may you know walk in for the first time and balk at the prices? So that's a that's a great question, and you know I will say that for the first probably ten or twelve years of our business, I heard it all the time. You know, people would come in and say, "Hi, I'm back. I took out a second mortgage so I can buy a steak." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." You know, or somebody'd walk out with a fifty dollars steak and said. Now you can make that tuition payment. And I'm like, oh, not really. Um, you know, as I said, as I led off, you know, we talked about some some of the numbers in our business, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's a thin margin business. And whether we charge what we need to charge to be sustainable. I mean, I'm and I'm very firm on that, you know. Um at, at during the pandemic, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the converse corollary of the of the we're expensive um, for the first, you know, from March through from March of 20 through about February. So, so we'll call it the 11 month period or 12 month period. I, I mistakenly told my team moratorium on any price increases. I don't care if we get them, we're not passing them on. We're going to eat it. And it cost us a, it cost us a lot of money to do that uh, because we were getting all this, 
we're getting price increases, but I didn't want to take them versus our, you know, I didn't want to put that on our customers. I just didn't feel it was right at the time. And, you know, we were able to be in business. We were able to be open and we weren't mandated to close. And I just felt like providing, you know, that service and, and doing so, um, without raising our prices was really important. And, and so that, but that was a mistake because it cost us a lot of money. And I realized very quickly as I started to look out in the world and the world started to open up again, you know, I mean, first of all, we're, we're, I'll give you a, a great example. We're not a tipped environment. So you don't come into our store and say, okay, and here's an extra five for that. And here's two for that, an extra two or whatever. I mean, you can buy a coffee now and, you know, the guy turns the, the tip thing around and it's like, do you want to, tip two, three, or four dollars. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a second, the coffee's three bucks. Mm -hmm. But it, it, notwithstanding, I mean, I, you know, it's not a slam on anybody, but we have to pass on our costs. You know, Colorado just mandated essentially six sick, sick days. I mean, we had personal days before. We, you know, we've always had a very competitive pay package. We still do. We have among the best benefit package in the business. Um, and I, like our retirement plan is, among the best you'll find anywhere. Um, we, we provide, we, we, we have a, a company health insurance. Um, we, we, we provide a lot for our employees because we feel that's the proper and sustainable thing to do. Are we the highest pay, payer out there? Probably not. We're definitely not the lowest. Um, and we buy the best. So when you buy the best stuff, it costs more, you know? Um, so the food that we sell in, in our, in our, you know, our vir virtual reality, it just, it, food is very efficient and you saw it, you know, this is my favorite example is during the pandemic, you know, we, we are, for instance, beef prices, our beef prices were incredibly stable for 15 months of the pandemic where commodity in many instances, commodity beef was, you know, 10 or 12% over what we were selling beef for. And it just, you know, there's, it's just a different supply chain. We buy differently. Uh, we sell differently. We, we charge what we have to charge to be sustainable. And I recognize that that doesn't work for everybody. Um, I, you know, I, I get it. Um, I, I wish it, I wish, I wish it could, but my favorite axiom on that is, you know, you got, you've got, you want, everybody wants good, and they want cheap and they want fast. Well, you only get to pick two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you can mm -hmm. get good and cheap, you know, but it won't be fast. You can get good and fast, but it won't be cheap. You can get fast and, you know, it's just, you can, you can get fast and cheap, but it won't be good. So it, it's just that we really, we, we, we can't be all three. Uh, and so we certainly can't be the low cost provider out there. Now, having said that, if we, if we are able to purchase an item at, a, at an exceptional value um, and we, we pass it on, we don't, we don't mark it up to you know, more, we charge what we have to charge to be sustainable. And, and that's really what it is. In our business, sustainability is king. And so, um, as I said, our, our mission statement is also known, you know, we, is our sustainability statement. So you gotta be profitable, you gotta be excellent. And that then, you do it through integrity, authenticity, consistency, reliability, and passion. Oh, yeah. So much to consider. I really, I had no idea so much went into it. 
Um, a couple of things you're very well known for are your deli sandwiches and your burgers. But first, let's talk about the deli sandwiches. Who comes up with the combinations, the recipes, so to speak, of what you're going to put in them? Another great question. So I, I, I am highly focused on being culinary. I am not a chef per se, right? So I, I, my recipes and formulations tend to be very simple. Those are not always the sexiest things. They're good, but they're not sexy. So our, we have a culinary team that they really work hard. Our, our culinary uh, ops director, Jamie Fader, well-known, you know, Denver chef of the year, well-known guy in town, brilliantly creative. He ultimately is the arbiter of our, our recipes. I mean, he, he's, he's the culinary ombudsman. And so through the years now, we've deferred a lot of that to him. But, um, you know, so we have a sandwich named after a former employee. Um, we've got uh, our first sandwich that we came up with. Uh, this is a great one. This is the Parisian. <clears throat> and we were selling all this French ham out of our deli. And uh, we, we had this great baguette and we had brie and butter. So, you know, Bill St. John, uh, mm -hmm. Denver Post writer and, you know, food food god in my mind. I mean, this incredible guy. I called him and said, what's that, what's that sandwich that you get in Paris? He said, oh, ham butter brie. <laughs> so that, that was, that was like that. And that still is our best selling sandwich. I mean, we sell more of that sandwich than anything else. And it's so simple, right? So yeah. it's a, it's a good baguette. It's French ham. It's good butter and, you know, good brie. And we, you know, those are, you can you can gussy anything up, and we have plenty of gussied up things. But uh, you know, sometimes the simplest food is the best. Um, and we you know we really do focus again. It's all quality of the ingredients. I want every ingredient to have its place. I want you to understand and perceive organoleptically. I want you to be able to perceive every ingredient that that you take that we put on a sandwich, or it's superfluous. You know, and we want those ingredients to be the best. So we roast our own beef. We buy, you know, we buy the best roasted turkey. We, you know, our River Bear Peachwood smoked turkey is a fantastic ingredient, you know, that goes on a bunch of our sandwiches. Um, the, you know, we, we buy the Nyman Ranch roast beef and, or beef and we, we butcher it in our, butcher it ourselves and tie it and roast it. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's exquisite. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. it's so much different. And I think that's where you, get the different differentiation. You know, we use local tomatoes, we use local lettuce, we make our own bread. You just can't fake that stuff. And, yeah. you know, so it's just, it's, you know, that authenticity piece, is it, you know, really authentic? Anything that looks like we made it, we made it. And yeah. we don't, you know, so that's, I think that's where that comes from. Well, while I have had your sandwiches, I have not had your burgers, which I'm ashamed to say, I keep missing it somehow, but I know people who, who mark their calendar and like build their schedule around your burger nights. So what, tell us more about those and why, why are people so crazy about burger night at Marzik? So burger night, I'll, I, a little backstory. So that uh, back to the point I made earlier when I was appalled that people weren't streaming into our store the day we opened, actually the day we opened, they did stream it. And it was the day <laughs> after we opened, they didn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I call, I call uh, ground beef is the 
is the Nyman Ranch Gateway drug. So <laughs> we, you know, we Nyman has been our our beef pork lamb partner for, you know, damn near exclusively for, um, you know, for 20 years. And the flavor of that beef is so good. It is different and I will just throw out there better um, than, than much of what's available out there in the world. And it's raised with care, passionately by family farmers. It's this amazing product. And I just couldn't believe people weren't coming in to buy it. They just didn't know. And so, so Burger Night originated as a way to get that flavor in people's mouths. And I can't tell you how many people, you know, those first years when I'm out flipping burgers on my you know, Weber ranch kettle at the time. And uh, they're like, what's in this? What did you season this with salt and pepper? Mm. No, really what? And I'm like salt and pepper. Oh, come on. <laughs> salt mm. and pepper. And, you know, so real food, real food tastes different than not real food. And, and I, I say that like food's real, right? But there, there's, there's these gradations and levels and bur the, the beef that we use is you just, you, you would just anybody out there would just be hard pressed to find a better quality over, you know, every month of the year, beef is seasonal like anything else. Um, every month of the year, the quality is consistently high. And so just the quality of that burger is so good. How we grind it. I tell the story of, you know, ground beef is like, is like pie dough and, uh, most people don't realize if you look at beef that, you know, commercially ground beef, it's, it's pink, right? If you look at hand ground beef, and when I say hand ground, I don't mean like with a hand crank grinder, but, you know, done by a butcher in a small batch and mixed properly and ground properly, it's flecked, it's red and white, you know, so it's, so you see the lean and you see the fat. And if you, if you emulsify that rather than combine it, it, it changes chemically, you know, the, the, the meat binds together, as opposed to when you grind it and patty it by hand, it makes this wonderful, like the texture is different and the flavor comes across differently. Um, you know, it's like eating a big thick hunk of prosciutto or eating a perfectly sliced, you know, paper thin piece of prosciutto. They taste different. So the, you know, the, the craft that our butchers put into, you know, everything they do, but the craft that they put into grind, I think, you know, I think ground beef and sausage are the highest expression of the butcher's craft. And, you know, it's not the steak. I mean, the steak is more the cow's craft, right? But the, when you, when you start adding that touch and you start adding the, the, the processing into that, it, it really the craft of the butcher comes through and, so, you know, the burger, the way we cook it, we cook it hot and fast over mesquite, um, very simple condiments. You know, we use local ripe tomatoes grown, grown, you know, within 15 miles of the store, um, local lettuce. We make a bacon aioli. We use Heinz ketchup, Hellman's mayo, Dijon mustard, you know, sriracha. Those are the condiments. It's very simple. The bun is wonderful. Uh, you know, we have a, a brioche style bun. Um, it's, it's very simple, simple food, but done crafted incredibly carefully. And, uh, it is different. I mean, I, 
I wait all year for that first burger night. <laughs> and, you know, it's the best burger I've had since we stopped burger night the year before. It really is. I mean, yeah. and even even when I cook burgers at home, they're, they're not quite there because, I don't know, there is some magic that happens at burger night. And, and I, I, I will admit that because people have said the same thing to me. I buy the burger night kit and I go home and I get the mesquite charcoal. And I was like, yeah, well, you're not, you're not, you're not our, you're not our grill guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but even I've noticed that. So it is special, I and mean, you know, it's a it's a really cool community event. We did one a couple of weeks ago for uh, for our for our big twentieth weekend celebration, and uh, I, I don't know. I think we had four hundred people come out. And, wow, you know, that's that's four hundred burgers on a grill in two hours. So <laughs> wow, how how <laughs> often are they? Really cool. Well, they used to, that's a good question. So they used to be, we used to do 26 a year scheduled when we had one store and then it went to 52 a year at two stores. And that is just not sustainable. It's a, it takes us, it takes us a crew of three or four, um, a full shift to produce all the burgers. You know, you know, they're all hand ground, hand patty, hand portion, hand patty. And we've tried to do it on a patty machine and it just, it doesn't, it's not the same. So, so we've decided to, we'll, we do them. I, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but we'll do, we will do, I think six this summer, uh, three and three, three at the Colfax store and three at the Uptown store. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we can get that into the, into our, material for you to, for the dates, but they are, they're special. They really are. And, um, it's a, it's a, it's man, it's a, like I said, it's a gateway drug. Once you, once you've had that flavor and you, you know, you kind of see how it, the, you know, when you get the right caramelization, you know, you get that Maillard reaction flavor plus the beefiness of that beef and the brioche bun and the dripping and the, all the deliciousness that happens. It's, it's a special thing. Well, I, I will make sure that this this is the summer I do not miss them and, and that I make it to multiples sounds. You're you're actually poetic about ground beef and I, I appreciate that. So um your website, um, which is one of the places where, where people can go to find out when the burger nights are. Um, I I really like your website. It's different than most people's. Not only do you change it up regularly, so there's always something to do or something to, new to see. But, um, but there's some humor to it and some really great tips. And a lot of businesses just keep a static website. You know, it's, it's their branding and that's what they stick with. But yours is very organic. It's very living. And I'm just curious why you decided to, to have your website be such a, you know, living thing, ever-changing. Well, again, you're nice to say that. The, uh, this all comes back to, to our team again, you know, I just have such a good team. My sales and marketing team are, they all wear multiple hats. They all work really hard. Um, we have a guy, uh, John Mason does all our communications. He does our emails. He handles the website. Um, he's this, he, he, he's funny. <laughs> he's mm -hmm. smart and he's, he, he, he uses the language really, really well. And I was trying to control it for a while. And then I realized, you know, he's just, you know, he's creating content at a rate faster than I can control it. 
And, and I realized I had to just had to let go and let him do that. And he really does with, with our, you know, with our, our sales and marketing director, you know, they, they work closely together and, and he just, he'll, he'll redo that website, you know, a couple, like architecturally a couple of times a year. And it just happens, you know, he, I say it just happens. I know it doesn't just happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, we have a really creative team and they, and, and they do have a lot of license within the guardrails of how we do things and, and, and what we say and what we don't say. Um, but you know, he, they're just, they're just a great team. And it's nice of you to notice that he, he is, uh, he's a little bit of an unsung hero of our business, but we get more, we get so many comments about our, our email, you know, and it's, it's clever and it's witty. And sometimes it has to do with food and sometimes it doesn't. And that's quite okay. You know, he's, he's got a, um, he's been with us for a, a bunch of years and, um, you know, we just, I'm just so thankful for, you know, my whole team. Um, and, uh, some of these, some of these people have really just been able to, have a creative outlet and uh you know that goes on the culinary side too they these guys get to get to try stuff and make new sandwiches make new soups try new salad you know whatever they you know within again within the within the guardrails um but uh i think allowing some of that creativity especially on the on the outreach side uh has really served us well and 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 our customers seem to appreciate it you know we get our open rate our, on our email is, is incredibly high for a business like ours. Um, and it's because they're cute, you know, they're, they're, they're fun, they're informative, but they're, they're also witty and it's, it's, they're clever. You know, it's uh, it, it, my, my, my direction on that is, you know, make, make little jokes and people, I want people to say, I know where that came from. That's, that's clever, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, yeah you know, cleverness uh, in our music selection in the stores. You know, I want people to say, ah, that's a, I hadn't heard that remake. That's cool. You know, or wow, that's neat that they found that or whatever, you know, or that I haven't heard that artist in 20 years. Um, So, you know, it's all that, it's this little subtle stuff, you know, retail is detail. And so all these little details matter, whether it's the smell when you walk in the store or the, or the, the lighting, you know, the, the, temperature of the light the cut you know the the color temperature the, how it interacts with the food and our food is our display you know we don't have a lot of big graphics in the store with it's our food right it's our packaging and the foods that we sell is the is the beauty but all those little details add up and you know it's maybe 15 years ago when I was when I was you know 10 years ago when I was in charge of every detail I could tell you everyone now the team really takes those on in ways that really beautiful and subtle like I just got a picture of a new produce set that that uh that our GM and his team did over at uh, Colfax store and is most beautiful produce set I've seen anywhere it was gorgeous and that but that detail you walk in this door and you look across the store and you see that and you're drawn to it and so you know, we don't have an active, quote, sales force. We, you know, we don't have people following you around saying, here, you know, here's, here, taste the asparagus, here, taste this apple, here, you know, you, you just can't, can't do it. But mm-hmm. so the food and the, and the atmosphere all has to, all has to gel into something that makes you want to buy it and makes you feel good about buying it and makes you feel good about spending that extra dough at a place like ours. So, you know, it all is very important. Every, you know, what's the most important part? Every part. 
every part. <laughs> you're, oh, it's, it's, it's you're so, listening. <laughs> I am. I'm learned. I've learned. Um, it's all so holistic. It's so interesting to me, um, which I, I mean, on one, one hand, of course, it would have to be, but um, it, I don't know. It, it's just hearing you talk about all these different elements and things I've never even considered. It's, it's just kind of stunning what goes into it and how considerate, you know, you need to be. And I don't just mean mannerly, but with all the things you have to consider, it's really kind of staggering. But um, so we're at my last still, question. St and still, I still, yeah. still on a vertical learning curve. Yeah. Just yeah. so you know, yeah. it's still vertical. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm there with my work all the time. I love that vision. Yeah. Okay, so we're up with the last question, and, and it's a question I always ask my podcasts, podcast guests because I think it's, I think their, their answers were always really interesting. So when you envisioned Marzik, when you find foods, when you, you know, maybe it was when you, everything was just a drywall stage in the first store, and things weren't really in there yet, and you stood there and you imagined what a typical day was going to be like when the store was open and everything was fabulous. Um, is the reality today remotely what you envisioned? Like, I know things changed, but like big picture, is it what it, what you intended for it to be? Original intention, probably pretty different, but you know, it's, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question. You know how <clears throat> I can I can give you a funny answer, which is which is just not true, but it's like the 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 best strategy for success. If you're not successful at something, you just lower the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I and and I I don't because we we haven't lowered bars. I, I don't want to say that, but it's you know you do you can change the end point sometimes can change, right? And, and or the interim steps to get there can change. You know, when we, when we first opened, Courtney, uh, as I said, you know, it was really hard. And those first few years, you know, we had an, our son was born in January of 02 and we opened the market in April of 02. And so we had an infant and an infant. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I was working, you know, I was working, like I thought I could pay myself a salary for the first couple of years. That was a joke. Um, the, and the number of hours that I was working, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks at Merrill Lynch were long. Um, they, they, they were turned out to be, those were short weeks. Um, you know, there was nothing could have prepared me for the fact that I, how much we would have to put in, in, in terms of, you know, toil and treasure. Right. But, um, but over time, we have created a business that has become sustainable and reliable and consistent in our, you know, in, in our, in our ability to pay salaries and, um, and be uh, sustainable. And so today, with the exception of the fact that I did legitimately believe that I could open, you know, three a year for 10 years and have 30 at the end of that, um, which was just completely, you know, I was completely mistaken about that. Is there was just, you know, that became abundantly clear probably week two 
that that was that that wasn't going to be the trajectory. So I had to adjust my expectations pretty quickly. Um, but you know, we're still very involved in the business. Um, I, I, you know, I, as I said, I, you know, earlier in the podcast, you know, my brother and I are trying to work more on the business than in the business. Um, candidly, you know, we are trying to, you know, create that next generation of leaders in our business. And, um, so that's going in, in the right direction. You know, the, the thing it's so hard to explain because, you know, you create something with a vision, but if it doesn't work out, you know, it's like you, 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 you change the tactics really fast. And so we we're constantly changing tactics. Um, whether it's, you know, the hours were open or the, or the products on the shelf or whatever. So it's, it's always changing. You know, there's, we have another saying in our business, you know, the guys, Hey, when, when, is, when is that meat case set? Like when, when is that case set? And the answer is never, you know, when's the seafood set? Never produce. Never. It's never, it's always changing. You know, when do we have the perfect crew and we just are, we're not recruiting. Never. We're always recruiting. We're always trying to bring in the best people we can find and, and, and create paths for, uh, for growth and, and for the, for those people. And so, you know, I don't know if I've answered the question very well, but, but it, it's just always changing and we're, we're always trying to adapt to the environment and our customers' needs and what they tell us um, or what they don't tell us. <laughs> um, and as I always say, you know, if we, if we, if we do something right, tell someone else, if we do something wrong, tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's very big picture of life, isn't it? That it's not, you, you can't go through life thinking I'll have really made it when X, Y, Z happens because X, Y, Z might never happen, but it's, it's all the steps along the way. It's all the process that is the life. And, and so, you know, that this is the business, all of your, all these steps you've taken and all these, um, the striving to have it be excellent, like you said. So, well, I, I hope that for all the people who've been shopping at your store for years, even all 20 years, that after listening to this podcast, they'll walk in and see things a little bit differently now that they know the whole backstory and all the intention of everything. And of course, people who have never shopped at Marzik, I hope this gives you a lot of incentive to go, to go in and really appreciate everything that you see and everything that um, you're buying. And Pete, thank you so much for, for your time today. It's It's been very interesting and very educational um, for me. So thank you and, and congratulations to you and Barbara and Paul and the whole team and all your partners on 20 amazing, impressive years. Well, thank you, Courtney. And, and especially thanks to our vendor partners, our crews through the years, our current crew and uh, our neighborhoods and our customers who have been so loyal and so supportive. I mean, we just, we, we are filled with gratitude to be here and, and to have this conversation. Um, so thank you. Absolutely. Well, and we, in, in addition to the podcast, always being available on our site, um, we're also on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, and a whole bunch of other locations. But we'll also have the transcript of this podcast on our website and a little player right there in that article. So it's super convenient. 
We'll also have the link to your website and to your social media channels and, and some beautiful photos so people can get this information multiple ways. So again, Pete, thanks. And we will see you in the store soon, I hope. Thanks, Courtney.